You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the Break a Bat podcast where baseball meets Broadway, an attempt to show that my two favorite mediums don't have to live in such separate worlds and maybe even break some stigmas. We're happy to have you with us. Now let's play ball. Hello and welcome to another edition of Break a Bat where baseball meets Broadway. I'm your host, Al Malafronte, coming at you for the Broadway Podcast Network. And what a treat it is for me to be here with everyone today as we welcome in a performer who in so many ways embodies what I love about sports and the arts. Uh, Throughout a 14-year career in the big leagues as a player and another six as a major league hitting coach, my guest today eats, breathes, and sleeps his craft. His performing career was highlighted by an all-star game selection, four seasons in which he hit above 300, and of course, he was a key member of the now iconic 1979 Pittsburgh Pirates World Series championship team. He also had a two-year stint on Broadway in the mid-80s with the New York Yankees, and even all these years later, his stories and perspective resonate so well with anyone who's looking to excel on stage or at the stadium. With that being said, I ask you all to please turn your attention to home plate. Just beyond the marquee, now batting, Mike the Hitman Eastler. Mike, welcome to Break a Bat. Hey, it's good to be here. Great to be here, Al. Yeah, looking forward to it. How's everything going out in Vegas? Everything is pretty good. As a matter of fact, we had a little snow that came in last night. People don't realize it gets cold out here and it snows a little bit, but we had a little snow in Summerlin area. In different parts of the city, so it was, uh, you know, a little snow is good for the bones. It was good for the bones. It reminds me of my days in Cleveland, Ohio, growing up. Yeah, and I was going to say, you know, it can't be worse than like Pittsburgh in April. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Oh no! No, nothing like that. Nothing like that. It's just a little little snow came through the mountains and kind of hit the hit the land a little bit. But it was a lot of fun seeing, it, and people love it up here. And it looks like you've kept pretty busy lately, you know, much like some of our friends in the Broadway world. I see you've lent your talents to coaching some uh, hopeful young performers, except not on stage, but in the batting cage. How's that going? Oh, no, I, um, I'm still quite busy doing um, private hitting instructions. I, I work with some teams. Um, I travel back in Florida, so Florida and do some work with Mo Vaughn up there in, um, in Boca Raton area. He has a Vaughn Sports Academy that we do some that we do some baseball and stuff that we do it. So, um, so we have a lot of fun just just continuing to teach, continuing to do the things that we do. And I love teaching. It keeps me busy. It's my form of exercise. And 
and it keeps me out of trouble. <laughs> now, let me ask, with that age demographic, are you emphasizing launch angle and swing plane like they do with a lot of these kids oh. in the minors? Or do you try to oh. you know, use your approaches that made you successful from the old school? Uh, soon as that word come out your mouth, launch angle. What does that mean? I don't even know what launch angle means. I put it this way. When you hit a baseball, you got to get your hands to the ball. And when you get your hands to the ball, you go through the ball. When you go through the ball, that's your launch angle. How can you angle your bat before the ball is thrown? That's the question I want to ask people. How do you know what a pitch is? If the ball is blown away, bam, you go up. The ball will go right up in the air with the launch angle. If um, the ball's up and in, how are you going to go up? You're going to go up, fly ball in the air. So you hit it first, then you go through it. The follow-through is your launch angle. It, it, just to keep it simple like okay. that. I, I, I mean, that, that's, that's how it okay. should be. Right. It's just, yeah. it's just so different, you know, compared to when you played. And um, I keep it very simple. I keep it very simple. Al. You know, hitting is very tough and the complicated with all the launch angles, exit velocity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It gets a little too complicated. And these young hitters are, you know, just totally confused. And that's why everyone's striking out 200 times a year. Exactly. <laughs> they don't care. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Yeah. And I have to tell you how excited I am to have you here because seldom do I welcome a former ball player into the batter's box. And all I want to do is just break into song. And I think you might know which <laughs> song I'm talking about. Which song that take me out to the ball game? I'm thinking we are family. Our family. Yeah, Sister Sledge. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, that was a great year. People don't realize how awesome a year that was. That was actually my first full year in the big leagues that year, 79. I spent 10 years in the minor league and I finally got my shot to stay, you know, for the whole season. I broke camp with the 79, you know, Pirates. And that was my rookie year, basically my rookie full year in the big league, the year we won the World Series, you know, the way our family year with, you know, Pop Chargers and Dave Parker and all the guys there. Now take us back to the disco generation in 1979. Pirates are struggling. What was going on backstage to the point where your captain, Willie Stargell, decided to adopt that song as sort of the team anthem to bring everyone together? You know, it's funny. I was um, reading something. Someone sent me something about myself, actually. And it was early April, May, I think, April or May. We were struggling pretty good. And we were playing bets. And in the 13th inning, I think it was a tie game. And I was the last one on the bench to pinch hit, and I hit a pinch hit home run against the Mets. I think I hit it off of Skip Lockwood of the Mets in the 13th inning. Bam! I hit a home run, hit the back of the stadium in Three Rivers Stadium. We won that game. A week later, off of Craig Swan, I hit another pinch hit home run, and that's when my nickname stuck, and that's when we went on in like a 14-15 game winning streak that year behind the scenes. And then that's what Willie, Dave Par um, Willie, I believe it was Parker, um, Bill Madlock, and a couple other guys got together and said, we're going to adopt that song because we started to come together as a family. And there it was. That's how, that, that's how it started. I just love when music ties itself into sports like that. And what's pretty cool is, not sure if you knew this, but Eddie Sledge, the father of the Sister Sledge, was actually the first African-American to perform on Broadway in Kiss Me Kate back in the 40s. Uh, pretty neat Broadway tie-in. Yeah, I didn't know that until recently. Isn't that amazing? I tell you, man, baseball and and um, music and, um, you know, actually, every time you play a game, you're actually on stage anyway. People don't realize that. I mean, when I used to run out to left field at Three Rivers Stadium, I used to say to myself, respect, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, Rita Franklin. I used to say, I'm going to get some respect tonight. 
And I always, in the music, is just baseball and music, it goes together. It's hand in glove. That is so amazing. How about when you were walking into the batter's box? Were you, you know, singing a little song to yourself to pump yourself up? You know, you know, we had walk-up songs, and I, I think mine was Rocky. I would love Rocky movie. So all my walk-up songs were the Rocky. And I always just get pumped up, but it's a controlled aggression. You gotta in baseball, you gotta control your aggression. You can't be outwardly and overly, but you gotta be cool with it, you know. But inside you're just boiling over, just waiting for everything to explode. And um, I call it quiet aggression with music in the background. <laughs> I love that. And, you know, so much of that really does tie into, you know, the work that Broadway performers do on stage as well. And, you know, mm -hmm. much like, you know, the theater and baseball, there's no real instant gratification. And you mentioned before that you were in the minor leagues for 10 seasons before you had the chance to stick around. Uh, you're such a student of hitting. When you look back now, what was it about the 1979 Mike Eastler that had such staying power compared to who you were before that? The thing about it is I had Willie Stargell by my side, or I was by his side. Every move he made, everything he talked about, everything in practice and in the in, in the clubhouse, I used to sit with Willie and just listen to him and just absorb his wisdom about the game, the umpires, the opponent, hitting off the catcher instead of hitting off the pitcher, setting the pitcher up. Um, how to hit in late game situations opposed to early in the game. I just picked up so much of the mental game with Willie Stargell that that 79 year, all of a sudden I became a major league player in, in a sense. Before I had, you know, I got caught up a month, sent back down, caught up a month. You know, I had little stints in the major league, but never to stay. That year I got a chance to really be tutored and um, and I watched Willie and I talked to him and I asked a lot of questions. A lot of times, I guess I was a pain in the butt being around him, but he was, he, you know, he was more than um, helpful to me. He, he welcomed it. And um, I think I think Roberto Clemente tutored him the same way back in, you know, in the early 70s. So he understood where I was coming from. And um, Willie gave me so much wisdom and so much confidence. And he taught me really mentally how to play the game of baseball. And now let me ask you, you know, the intensity and focus that goes into great, being a great performer is really on another level. Um, you have to be extremely disciplined mentally. However, you know, kind of that controlled aggression that you were talking about. Um, yeah. When you know you have the talent and your number isn't called, is there ever any resentment towards the game or towards the organization? And if so, how do you separate that when you're trying to fulfill a dream? Well, you know, my mother said this a long time ago. She said, Mike, when you're struggling to reach your dream, you go through a lot of ups and downs and, um, you know, a lot of turmoil, a lot of disappointments, tears, whatever. But actually, when you finally reach your goal, you look back and the struggle was the prize. But you learn how to deal with this and deal with that and overcome that obstacle, overcome that obstacle. I also played 10 years of winter baseball also, along with my 10 years in the minor leagues. So basically, I was going nonstop for 10 years. I signed a contract at 18. And I was really my first four years at 79. I was 28 years old. A lot of people would have quit, yes. A lot of people would have gave up, yes. But that wasn't in my system. That wasn't in my DNA. And I was going to make it regardless. The only way I wouldn't have made it if I would have left the earth somehow, you know, if I would have lived, basically. That's how passionate and determined I was to make it. And I had a great wife, my, you know, wife, Brenda. Um... She was behind me. She motivated me. She pushed me. And uh, my family, my father, my mother, 
everybody knew I was baseball. I was pure baseball. And um, I just wasn't going to quit. And um, finally, I got my chance. And I just I just knew I was going to make it. I just wasn't going to quit. Wasn't going to give up. Now, 1980 comes around. You're finally an everyday player, and you hit 338. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it just it's just amazing. You finally get your shot, and you make the most of it. And one of your greatest individual highlights, I have to say, was when you hit for the cycle. And you did it in a fairly unconventional way because usually it comes down to needing the triple. You tripled yes. in your first at-bat, and it came down to needing that home run in your last at-bat. Uh, you were always a great all-around hitter, very disciplined when it came to your approach, but – uh, much like a great Broadway performer, you had a real technique that made you distinct. How far outside of yourself do you have to be to almost go method as someone who's swinging for the fences, which at that point really wasn't a typical part of your game? You know, it's funny. I tell this story. When I first got traded to Boston, um, I forgot what year it was, 77, 78, 78, I think, and I went to spring training with the Red Sox. I got traded back to the Pirates in 79. That's when we won the World Series. But when I went to um, spring training with the Red Sox, Ted Williams was there. And I had a chance to meet and talk with Ted Williams. And Ted Williams had a group of us, you know, together talking hitting. And he used to say, you know, when he used to get behind an account, the count is 2-0, 3-1, that I used to say, okay, this pitcher has to throw me a fastball, basically. He said I used to get up there and just get, you know, real relaxed and stuff. And then just before the pitcher was going to release the ball, I kind of slightly opened my hips up early. And when I opened my hips up early, bam, I'm trying to get the, you know, the fastball out front. I'm, we call it cheating. You know, you cheat a little bit. You open your hips before the ball is thrown almost. You just whap, and then bam. And it's funny. When I got in that situation, I stepped out the batter's box in 1980 in Cincinnati. I had the triple, as you said. I had the double. Then I got the single. And I knew I needed a home run. I stepped out and my mind stopped and went back to that conversation I had with Ted Williams. It's funny how things just kind of stopped in time. And I said, okay, Doug Bear was pitching. Doug Bear for the uh, Cincinnati Reds. He threw pretty hard. He was about 93, 94. I mean, over the top, pow, over the top, pow. Bam, fastball, ball one. Bam, fastball, ball two. I said, okay, Ted Williams, here we go. And it's funny. I got out the bat, about to step back in. All I can think about is that conversation with Ted, and he let the ball go 2-0, fastball up and away, and I just opened them hips up, threw that bat head, and hit it up in the second deck. <laughs> completed. Cycle completed. It was the greatest feeling in the world, but it was like everything came to a slowdown. I was like the whole game slowed down for me, and, um, and it happened. I hit for the cycle. That was one of the greatest moments of my career. Just to be able to separate the background noise like that is really just the mark of such a great it's performance. It's kind of hard. It's not that easy. And it's funny. I got an inning later, Chuck Tanner took me out for defense. Uh, oh, yeah. That's like And I got, in the, I got in the clubhouse, and the phone was ringing. And this so happened. It was my mother calling me and said, Mike, you hit for the cycle. You hit for the cycle. She was celebrating. She called me right in the Cincinnati Red Clubhouse. That was so funny. I mean, you couldn't stage that no better. Oh, that is so amazing. And, you know, it's like the hits just kept on coming. And by 1981, you're playing in the all-star game of your, you know, in your hometown of Cleveland, like you mentioned earlier. And it was like practically every Hall of Famer from that generation was at that game. Seaver, Brett, Gary Carter, Rod Carew. Like I could name another dozen names. How surreal is that? You know, and I'm glad you mentioned that because a lot of people, I think we had like 18 Hall of Famers in that all-star game, something like that for American and National League. 
when I walked in that clubhouse, I'm looking at Pete Rose, Steve Carlton, Mike Smith, I mean, Dave Parker, I mean, um, Steve Garvey, uh, 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 Dusty Baker, I mean, on and on and on. And on. I said, Mike Eastler, you are part of this. Wasn't that 10 years worth it? Wasn't that 10 years in Winterball worth it? All the tears, all the grind and the grit. Look at me. I'm among the best. And I tell that, you know, Dallas Green was the manager that year. And I, every time after that, I seen Dallas Green, no matter where I was, Dallas, thank you for picking me. Thank you, because he picked me as an extra outfielder. He said, Mike, trust me, you earned it. He said, you hit the ball hard every time you played us. You had a fantastic year last year. You're having another one this year. And that was the year we had the lockout in 81. So, you know, we missed about two, two and a half months of the season. He said, but um, you're just a pure hitter and all. He said, I, 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 you earned it. I, I didn't just give it to you. Trust me, you don't just get an all-star game unless you really earned it. He said, but, you know, you performed on it. And it's, to me, to me, World Series, um, cycle and everything, to me, that all-star game was really the highest point of my career, the one that I remembered most and that the more I, you know, I cherish more than anything else that they won All-Star Game in my hometown of Cleveland, Ohio. So it's like you were a cast member of a Tony Award-winning cast for Best Musical with the 79 Pirates, and then uh, you won a Tony Award of your own when you made the All-Star Game in 81, a little Broadway parallel there. I love I'm that. Telling you, I mean, words can't even explain how my mother's, I mean, you know, my father at the game, my sisters, and my mom stayed at home and she was watching, everybody was there. I mean, it was like surreal. I mean, it's just like, I can't believe I'm here. And we had like 77,000 people in that old Cleveland Stadium. I mean, it was amazing. That was the first game after after the lockout or after the, you know, af, you know, after the uh, strike that we had. So it was amazing. I mean, it was the greatest thing in the world. And uh, I ended up scoring the tie and run. You know, Mike Smith hit a three-run home run. Me and Dusty Baker scored the, you know, the, you know, the tying and the winning, and you know, Mike Smith scored the winning run, but it was uh it was amazing. It was just an amazing time. Gary Carter hit a home run. Dave Park hit a home run. It was just a great All-Star game. Do you like the All-Star game not counting? Because I know there was, you know, that little stretch there where, you know, it determined home field advantage from about 03 to, I think, 2016. How, where do you stand on that? Um, is it counting now? I'm not even sure anymore. Yeah, is no, it, it no longer counts. But back in 2017, they changed it back to where it doesn't determine home field advantage in the World Series. No, it really didn't make that big a difference. I think they were just trying to make meaning into the game. So guys would go out there and really play hard and, you know, focus, just like they did with that, you know, the basketball all-star game last year or whenever it was, when they tried to, you know, if you got so many points at us, you know, they're just trying to make it competitive where guys wouldn't go through the emotion. But, you know, it doesn't make that much difference, you know. Baseball, when it gets to playoff time, you know, the best team's going to win anyway. That's the truth. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now, after your time in Pittsburgh, you spent a couple seasons in Boston. You went back there, and the Red Sox basically do the unthinkable and trade you to the Yankees. I know you were a huge <laughs> baseball fan growing up as a kid. What was it like putting on the pinstripes for the first time in 1984? Well, I have to say, you know, to me, that was the ultimate of my career, playing with the Yankees. I mean, I love the Red Sox. I love the Pirates. Philadelphia, I went there for a bit. You know, but playing with the Yankees, to me, that was the, another Another high point in my career. I mean, you know, Mickey Mantle, you know, Roger Maris, uh, Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson was my hero growing up. I mean, when I was coming to the minor leagues, I used to try to imitate Reggie. And um, and then when I got in the Yankee uniform, I put the helmet on him like him, and I put the glasses on. I used to actually imitate Reggie, you know. And I'm boom, you know. <laughs> he, he don't realize he had a big influence on my minor league career, Reggie did. And I started hitting home runs when I started imitating his swing. Left-handed, left-handed. And as I said, if I, I think I got a picture somewhere in my my phone where I put the helmet on, I looked just like him. I mean, I, I mean that's how that's how I related to Major League Baseball, and I studied mechanics that way. Now they got film, they got they got all kind of stuff now to you know to you know to check your swing out, as you said, the launch angle, the exit velocity, all this stuff. But I did that with my eyes and mind. I did that watching the watching players. We had one game a week, game of the week, you know, and that's when I used to study, you know. And we didn't have game every night, every day, but, you know, cable and all that stuff like that. So, I, to me, playing with the Yankees really, I couldn't think of a better way to end my career in the major leagues than with the New York Yankees. Now, you mentioned the lineage of great players uh, throughout New York Yankee history. Did you ever get to meet DiMaggio or Mantle at the I old-timers? Got to, I got to meet them all. You know, I got to meet them all. It went, I think a couple of the uh, old-timers games, they came through. And uh, such gracious people, this gracious. They're just great athletes, great ball players. Just love the game. I mean, being in New York to me, that was an ultimate of playing baseball. I mean, but it's funny when we used to come to New York to play with the Yankees or me against the Mets. I used to always do well, so the big stage didn't bother me. I didn't care. I loved it. I mean, the whole world's watching. I, I mean, I in New York, in my first year in um, New York, I think I hit like three hundred four that year. But like 14 home runs, I don't know what I hit that year. I, you know, I was platooning with Gary Ward, I think. And then we were going back and forth, righty vs. lefty. So Lou Pinella, that was the first year Lou Pinella managed. So I played under Lou Pinella his first year managing. We got along real good. And Lou was very passionate about the game. You're talking about, ooh, this is passionate. But um, no, playing in New York was, I mean, one of the greatest, greatest thrills of my life wearing the pinstripe. And I still cherish it to this day. Matter of fact, I got a couple of pictures up on the wall right now. Yankee of the month, Mike Eastler, <laughs> take a bow. I was player of the month in June of, um, I forgot what year that was. So I still got some stuff here with the Yankees. and I just never forget my time with the New York Yankees, ever. Never, never, never. Take a bow, great Broadway uh, terminology there. <laughs> now, let me ask you, how was your, re- your relationship with the boss? You know, it's funny. Uh, I never, I met him one time, I think. You know, I got traded from Red Sox, Don Baylor, for Mike Easter. So that was, uh, they traded DHs. Uh, I think that was the first time that ever happened. Um, and that year, I think that's the year that um, the Red Sox went to the playoff, right? And that's the Mets in 86, 86, yeah, something like that. 
See, if they would have kept me, Boston, we would have won. See, now they traded me, and, they, and that's why they lost. They got Baylor. <laughs> and Steinbrenner was kind of upset a little bit because um, we had a great team. We just didn't have a good pitching staff that year in 86. We had a great hitting team, but our pitching staff was a little shaky that year. So um, Steinbrenner got kind of upset. He said, oh, I should have never traded Baylor. I said, well, I didn't ask to come here. You traded for me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think he took exception when I said that. And uh, he ended up trading me to the Phillies. Then Don Malley hurt his back, and they traded me back to the Yankees uh, after that in 87. And that was my last year in the major leagues, 87. Then I went to Japan for two years, actually. What was that like? Japan was a great experience. I mean, I was like 37 years old, 37, something like that. So I, was, I knew I was at the end of my career. But I still could swing the bat pretty good, and I still could hit. Um, so I went. My first year, I did well. I hit 304, I think, and 19 home runs and like 99, 90 games, something like that. It's just a different experience. I mean, I had an interpreter with me. I didn't really understand. And so I had to make a big adjustment with the pitchers, you know, because they're, you know, they're very methodic. And uh, well, you know, you know, you've seen the Japanese pitchers. They throw a little bit different. They got all kinds of screw balls and up shoots, down shoots and so I learned, but I, by that time I could hit, so it didn't make a difference. I mean, I just figured it out, and I did well over there. And finally, I hurt my back where I couldn't half move. I was like 38, 39. That's when I called it quits. And um, 1988, that was my last full year playing baseball, you know, professional baseball, 1988. Japan was, and I learned a lot. I started learning how to – actually, I started studying the game of the art of hitting then. I started looking at films and studying um, uh, basic mechanics and the – and um, and the Japanese players were really into fundamentals. So they did things fundamentally sound. You know, everything had to be perfectly technique and stuff like that. So I learned to start looking at hitting in a different way and studying it. And, um, and next year, I started, you know, I started managing first year, 1990, right out of baseball. I haven't stopped. <laughs> That's amazing. You never lost your passion for it. And it's a shame it ended the way it did with the injuries because when you were on the field, you were seeing still able to hit as well as anyone. You mentioned, you know, with the Yankees in 86, yes. you hit above 300. Yes. And in Japan, you were still hitting 300. Yes. Um, it, it's been nice, though, that you've been able to lend your knowledge, you know, to a whole new generation of players. I know you're really appreciated around the game for that. That is so important. People don't realize once you stop playing, you're not a player anymore. You become a coach, a teacher, and I call it you become a servant to the players. My first big league job was Milwaukee. Coach with Phil Gardner in Milwaukee. Then I was a hitting coach in Boston, you know, with, you know, with Mo Vine and, the, you know, the Red Sox there. Then from Milwaukee, I went to, I mean, from Boston, I ended up going to St. Louis Cardinals. I was a hitting coach there two and a half, three years. And then I was a hitting coach with the Dodgers. I went up there when Lou, uh, when, um, Mattingly? Uh, yeah, yeah. Don Malley had, he was going through a divorce. So I took over from Triple A because I was a Triple A hitting guy. So Joe Torrey asked me to take on, you know, you know, half the season that year. And, um, but when you become a hitting coach, man, that is, I mean, it's a great responsibility, but it's something that I love to do. I was passionate about doing it. But you got to step in the back, background and then you get to start pouring your knowledge to these kids and these young hitters because, you know, I mean, but nowadays, it's kind of a little bit over my head now. Like you mentioned when we first started, the launch angle, the extra velocity, stuff like that. 
I understand what they're trying to say, but to me, hitting is so difficult that you do not want to confuse it, confuse the hitter and get him thinking that he has to try to lift the ball to get the ball in the air to be successful. Because if you think about Ted Williams, all the great hitters, all the Hall of Famers, they were contact hitters. You learn to hit first, meaning hit for average. And then the power will come in time if you're a power hitter. But I'm a believer in hitting high 300s. And then as you learn to hit, if you're you're strong enough, the ball will go out the ballpark. And see, the thing about the launch angle is, the launch angle, all it is, is is getting the ball. When you hit the ball, when you finish your swing, the follow-through creates backspin. Backspin is the angle so much to hit the ball out the ballpark or in the gaps or over guys' head. And how they shift so much now, if they shifted on me, I would have hit 350 every year. There's no way in hell I'm going to put everybody on the right side of the field and that whole left side going to be open. There's no way in heaven that I wouldn't hit. I, I, I do it. At, you know, I just back off the plate. But see, I blame the hitting coach for not teaching the young hitters to go the other way. I blame the hitting coaches and the organization for not disciplining their, you know, their hitters to, you know, to use the whole field. You can't be a complete hitter until you do that. Sure, you might hit 40, 30, 40 home runs a year, but you hit 220, 230. Yeah, I'm only telling you how many times you're going to strike out and how many games, you know, runs you're going to leave on base. And then, um, no, you got to learn to make contact, use the whole field. But, you know, it's a whole different game nowadays. And, you know, it is what it is. I enjoy it. The guys are very talented and very powerful. So, you know, they got some great hitters in the big leagues. Now, some of these young guys can really, really, really hit. How would you approach a guy like Chapman who throws over 100 miles an hour? <laughs> <laughs> Chuck Tanner would have pinch hit for me. He put a right-handed hitter in there. <laughs> um, the way you hit a guy to throw that hard, you back off the plate. You look for fastball. Give him the ball inside and just stay on your legs and throw your hands. Stay on your legs. Stay planted. Stay um, grounded. Throw my hands. Throw my hands. Willie Starter used to say, when he hit, he used to hands high, drop the bat head. Slow feet, quick hands. Slow feet, quick hands. <laughs> it's hard to say. Basketball didn't bother me. I mean, guys are too hard. It really making that difference. You know what I mean? They got to throw it over the plate. I put it this way. The catcher can catch it, and the umpire can call it, and I can hit it then. And I just, I just seen the ball early. You know, you see the ball early at his release point, and you're ready. You're semi-ready. Then you just throw your hands. When you throw your hands, you're throwing the bat head. A lot of coaches teaches throw the knob. You ever hear that? Throw the knob at the bat. The knob comes along, but if you're throwing your knob to a guy like Chapman, that knob gonna be exploded. It's gonna be hitting the handle. I'm throwing that bat head like this. Boom. Boom, not the knob. When they say throw the knob, they're just trying to say stay level. That's all. They want you to stay level. But you're level after you threw the bad head. Now you level through it. Bam, gone. Boogie. Boogie. I love that. <laughs> Boogie, we got to run. <laughs> run <the first. laughs> oh, you ought to hear some of the things I say I, about hitting. Oh, man. Apple taco. I say all kinds of stuff. Turn and burn. But uh, <laughs> when I'm teaching, the kids that I work with know what I'm talking about. Matter of fact, 
Mo Vaughn and myself, we're coming out with a, um, a module on hitting pretty soon. And it should be out within the next couple of months. Um, and Boca Raton inside of Vaughn Sports Academy. We're coming out with a hitting module teaching all the stuff that I'm talking about. Now. It That's be, fantastic. It's going to be exciting. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll certainly, uh, you know, plug where everyone could get some more info on that too, uh, you gotcha, know, as it comes gotcha, out. And gotcha, gotcha, I, I want people to see that for sure. I, I could sit here and talk hitting with you all day, but uh, before we I, play fast. <laughs> I could talk hitting too. Shame on me. No, never. I, you know, I, I absolutely love this, but you know, mm-hmm. we do a segment on uh break of back called fastball derby, but before we do that, I have to know because uh, when you played here in New York, it was a particularly special time on the theater and arts front. There were a lot of great shows like 42nd street, Les Mis, cats. And you've talked in the past about how much you enjoy singing in music, uh, whether mm-hmm. it be to your daughters or in church or, you know, running out to left field. Did you catch your yeah. share of Broadway shows or immerse yourself in the music scene here in New York? Do your playing you know, days? I didn't, but my daughter did. My daughter did Misty, Misty Eastler. She's a, 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 a aspiring actress. She lived in New York. She lived in uh, Manhattan. She lived down in the Bronx. And she stayed there about 17 years studying the arts. She is a um, aspiring, you know, she did a lot of plays. She did a lot of things. My daughter, Misty Easter, is 100% into that. And um, and I went to see her shows when I was there. And she had a lot of good shows. Uh, I can't, I wish she was here now. I can, you know, introduce you to her, but... Um, she, um, she's, and that's what she is. She's a aspiring entertainer. She never really got a big break, but she had a lot of little shows in New York and she loved New York with a passion. So I used to go see her shows when I used to, you know, come in and play the, you know, you know, when I'm in New York or, or when I was the Pirates, we'd come in and, you know, I went to a lot of her shows and she always went to the movies and stuff like that. I just wasn't a big movie goer myself. But um, I I used to stay at home and watch the movies on TV. <laughs> but um, no, my, my my daughter is an aspiring actress, and she's really into the shows and the movies and everything. Now, what's your typical musical genre, Mike? I believe I'm more of an easy listener. People laugh because I say I'm an Elvis fan. I love Elvis's. I love love music. I mean, what do you call it? Is it love music or what do you call it? Though? Soul music? No, 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 no. Love, 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 love ballads. Um, oh, okay. Manhattan stylistics. I love um, um, Whitney Houston. Oh, I love Whitney Houston. Um, I just love beautiful, lovely, soft music. I don't like that hard. I don't, me and rap don't mix. Uh, I'm not in the heavy industry. I just like easy listening to the music that soothes the soul, gets my mind at peace and ease. That's where I am. That's where I live. I just live nice and quiet. And I don't do no. I'm that way anyway, so I don't need to do that. I don't need no music to hump me up like that. I'm going to make a recommendation to you, um, and I think that would really impress your daughter if you come back and spit some of this knowledge, or if you end up listening to it, you know, from a Broadway musical perspective, there was a show more recently called Bright Star, and it has kind of like a country and bluegrass score okay. to it. I like country music, too. I mean, I like that. Yeah, I like that. And, it, you know, it kind of has that, like, easy listening vibe. What, in my opinion, one of the more underrated shows of all time. If you listen to the soundtrack, though, I really think you'd like it, because, you know, I, I know that... Um, you know, as far as 
you know, it's it's obviously right now we unfortunately don't have access to shows. But if your daughter likes the arts and you want a way to bond, listen to Bright Star. I have a feeling that you might like that show. Bright Star. I'm going to ask Misty about it. She probably knows. She probably has it on her iPod. That's all she does. I mean, that's all she does. She listens to that. She's an um, aspiring actress. She just did that. Like, they just did a great play here just before the virus hit. She was doing it. What's the name of that play she was doing? I can't think of the name of it. Um, it was great. It, you know, it was great. And she's a very good, and you know, and, you know, actress and stuff like that. And I can't think of what it is. But Bright Star, I'm going to ask Misty about it. She'll you know, let me know. She keeps all that stuff on her phone. I don't. She does. She does. Yeah. Well, you know what, Mike? You've uh, you've done a lot of things in your career, but I'm going to tell you, fastball derby is going to be tough. Fastball derby. Okay, that sounds interesting. Okay, is it going to be confusing? I don't think so, because you know what? If anything, it's more of just a chance for the audience to learn a little bit more about you as a person. I'm going to ask you a question. You tell me the first thing that comes to mind. How does that sound? Gotcha. Let's go for it. Favorite New York City meal? Ooh, that's a good one. Cuban food. Excellent. I've got a Sophie's yeah. Cuisine right around the block from me. Yeah, they had a good, man, yeah, they had a good Cuban food. Every time I used to go there, we used to go find the Cuban restaurant real close to the hotel. <laughs> Love that. Favorite big league team you coached for? Uh, that's a good one. I would say Red Sox. Because I had one of my favorite students, Movon, there. And Movon turned out to be a beast. They called him the hit dog. And um, I just, for some reason, that was, I really, because I played in, and I knew how to, you know, Fenway Park was different because it had the wall. So I knew how to teach how to hit, go to high um, Yeah, I would say that. But finally, I got to dive, dive, you know, job with the Dodgers. So that was kind of exciting, too. But I've always wanted to be the Yankees hitting coach, and they never asked me, and they struggle every year. I've wrote Cashman over and over again. Hire the hitman. Hire the hitman. You will win. I promise you. And I still feel that way to this day. I will come out of retirement to be the hitting coach for the New York Yankees this moment. I will do it. But for some reason, they won't ask me. Forget all that long chain. I had them guys hitting the ball to every part of the whole ballpark, and we would definitely win the World Series if I was their hitting coach. That's what you need to win in the playoffs, and that is something that we have struggled with. So if in any way Brian Cashman happens to listen to this episode, I am, I'm not knocking Marcus Timms, but they got to bring you on staff in some capacity. Let me tell you, and I told him that too. I don't have to be, you know, I don't have to be out in front, but just hire me. I'm not the young man I used to be, but I still got energy and I still got passion. I got the knowledge there. And you give me a young guy next to me and I'll teach him how to be the best hitting coach in Major League Baseball. And we would win. I promise you. Cashman, if you're here, hire the hitman. We will win. Bring me back home. Pinstripe one more time. <laughs> I love that. I'm so on board. <laughs> <laughs> now, how about this? Player you played with or against that you had the most respect for? Willie Stargell, period, by far, Willie Stargell. He had the most influence on me in baseball. He taught me how to hit, taught me how to respect the game. He taught me how to walk the game, talk the game, deal with failure, deal with success, stay on the even plane. Willie, Willie Dornell Stargell, I think that's his name. Wilbur Dornell Stargell. The wackiest player you ever played with. That's a good one. <sighs> 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> Out of wackiest. <sighs> I put it this way. He was different. Tim Foley. Played with the Mets for a little while. Matter of fact, we got Tim Foley from the Mets to the Pirates here. We won the World Series. He was different. Passionate. Intense. Wacky. <laughs> Loved to win. Tim Foley. His nickname was Crazy Horse. <laughs> great guy. Great guy. I love Timmy to death. I love Timmy to death. But he was a little different. He was a little different. <laughs> <laughs> Fact about Mike Eastler that would surprise people the most. I'm a licensed minister. And I am a deep down Elvis Presley fan. I love Elvis music with passion. Wise men say only fools rush in. I can't help. Falling in love with you. <laughs> you know what, Mike? Maybe if they had you in New York as the hitting coach back in the mid two thousands, the musical All Shook Up would not have closed Ooh. so Ooh, quickly. I would have loved that one. Ooh, I would have loved that one. Matter of fact, January they usually have a big thing on um, Elvis's birthday up here in Vegas, but they canceled all that. Now they have a lot of ver- um, Elvis impersonators. Me and my wife used to go see them all the time. <laughs> oh, I love that. That is so yeah. awesome. Oh yeah. All right, for the New York fans, are you Team Jeter or Team A-Rod? Jeter. I love A-Rod to death, and he was a great hitter. He could hit the ball with anybody in the universe, but Jeter was the whole package. He was the defense, offense, team captain, team leader. He was a whole enchilada. Team, you know, they were after me. They were younger, but Jeter was just a complete package. He was a leader. He was like a Willie Stargell type guy. You know, he was a leader. A-Rod was a doer and um jeter was a leader because he knew how to play the game he was good really good and he cared he absolutely cared I'm not saying a-rod didn't but jeter that's what i'm telling you you know two different personalities but both great talents super talents most embarrassing on the field moment Ooh, good one uh Well, I got to go to the minor leagues. I was in Wichita, Kansas, and I was tripped away with the with the Astros. And um, I hit a ball, a hard ground ball, a shortstop, and I got three steps out of the batter's box and fell down on my face. And the stands are real close. And I looked around and said, I hope nobody's seen that. <laughs> I know the whole stand at me. I think when I fell on my face in Wichita, that was about the funniest time that I had. <laughs> That wasn't too exciting. <laughs> By the way, uh, my awesome uh, producer, Brittany, just chimed in on our little chat bubble, applauding your uh, little performance there of I can't help but fall in love. Brit has some uh, street cred on the uh, on the performing front. So I, know, go, shaky. I haven't been singing in a long time, but that's one of my favorite songs. <laughs> you can have dinner with three players in baseball history. Who would they be? Ooh, that's a good one. I like that one. Ted Williams. Bob Gibson, Jackie Robinson. 
That would be fun, wouldn't it? Save a seat for me. That would be exciting. <laughs> now, who did I say? Ted Williams, Bob Gibson. That was my two childhood heroes. And um, Jackie Robinson. I just tell them because I knew how tough it was. It was tough on me, too. But it wasn't. It was a different tough on Jackie. And I like to get a feel of what he, how he dealt with it and his, his inner man, his innocent. You know, and bless, um, you know, I always throw Hank Aaron in there, too, while we're at it. Oh, we might as well throw uh, Willie Mays, too. Maybe Mano on the side. <laughs> Let's just have a big party. I'm so down. We'll invite all these guys. <laughs> Let me tell you something. There's so many great ball players. God almighty. And I don't see how people can, um, you know, try to compare people who's better and who better. No, all of them are good. In any era, every Al Kaline. People don't realize how good Al Kaline was until I started watching his films. That man could flat out rake. He could really hit. I mean, really could hit. Um, I used to watch Boog Powell. People don't realize Gates Brown. I mean, I go back and on and on, and um, Tony Horton, Willie Horton. You know, I used to study them old guys like that, and that's how I came up with my hitting, you know, and, I, you know, Sandy Koufax and Don Drysdale. Them guys in the, you know, and for the Yankees, who was it? Um, um, Whitey Ford pitcher? Yeah, Whitey Ford. Them guys are nasty. And the right-hander came from Oakland. What's his name? Um, Raleigh Fingers, Eckersley. Eckersley, right. Vita Blue. Uh, hold it. No, 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 not him. Um, what's the right-handed? Nasty. I mean. On Oakland? Yeah, he used to be Oakland. And then, oh, Catfish Hunter, who yeah, came yeah, from Oakland Hunter. to the Yankees. Yeah, yeah, them guys are yeah. nasty. They have so much moving on the ball and big. Uh, I mean, them guys are great. That's all I can say. So to have Darren, but the, but the ones I really, you know, uh, who I said, um, Ted Williams, Bob Gibson, Hank Aaron. Okay. The late, great Hank Aaron. Yes. That's his name. Oh, did I say Jackie Robinson? No, Jackie Robinson. I'm sorry. Jackie Robinson. I said, or he can hang out. <laughs> no, 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 let him hang out. There you go. <laughs> Proudest moment of your career. <sighs> Proudest moment of my career. Again, I have to repeat. Playing in the 1981 All-Star Game in Cleveland, Ohio. In front of my mom and dad. Especially my dad. My dad, oh, you know, he, he wanted me to make it so bad. He, he had such a passion and love for the game and he taught me how to play the game, how to respect the game. And when I finally made it, it was good. But when I played in the All-Star game and he had a chance to come and sit in the stands in Cleveland Municipal Stadium and watch his son, you know, jog out to left field or be called on the line, you know, at the, I mean, for All-Star game, that was, I think that was my proudest moment in baseball. More so than the World Series, you know. What can I say? And lastly... Best piece of advice anyone ever gave you? Oh, that's a good one. I like that one. It has to be a combination of Willie Stargell and Dave. Uh, Willie Stargell, my father, is always respect the game of baseball. Play the game hard. Don't cheat it. And you will be, when you retire, you're not going to have no regrets whatsoever. If you respected the game, you know, and you played the game as hard as you can and gave everything you had, you left it on the field, as they say. Um, that was the, you know, that was the um, biggest compliment. I mean, that's what they told me to do. Remember it more than anything else. Just respect the game and play the game hard. 
Well, you certainly did, Mike. And uh, I have to tell you, it was just such an honor sitting here and talking with you. You might, you might have to come back on the show and we could just tell, talk more <laughs> baseball and talk more shop. I absolutely no, love every day. As a matter of fact, I'm working on a book right now. It should be out about another six months. I'm working on a book. Um, 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 Bruce um, Markison out of, um, out of um, with Cooperstown. Yeah, we're working on a book right now, as a matter of fact. Um, I don't know what the name of it. it might be the Hitman, might be climbing the. I don't know what it's going to be, climbing the glass mountain, but it's going to be the Mike Easton story. I'm going to come up with a lot of crazy stuff that I talk about and in my, you know, my road to the big leagues and how tough it was, some of the ups and downs I went through, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So stay tuned, stay tuned, and you can, you know, you get my, you know, Instagram, you know, um, Mike, Mike the Hitman Eastler. Um, Facebook, you see me on there. I got a lot of crazy stuff on there. I'm always doing something goofy and stupid. <laughs> but I still it's love the game. I, I follow both accounts. <laughs> oh, do you really? Yeah, it's kind of goofy, isn't it? <laughs> I love every minute of it. It's I great. know, it's crazy, it's crazy. But um, as I said, uh, you know, I just love the game of baseball. I like to pass on, you know, not only the knowledge, but just have fun with it because baseball's a tough game. It's a tough sport, you know. You know, we don't want to complicate it for the kids. We want to make it, you know, make it fun. Umpire says, Willie Stardew told me this. Umpire says, play ball, not work ball. You're a great ambassador, Mike. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right, old buddy. Enjoyed it a lot. Uh, so did I. And um, I hope all the folks at home listening enjoyed it as well. Be sure to subscribe to Break a Bat wherever you get your podcasts. This is Al Malafrante signing off for the Broadway Podcast Network. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Break a Bat. This is produced by the fine folks at the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit and subscribe at bpn.fm slash breakabat. You can find me online at break underscore a underscore bat underscore podcast. And you can also find the Broadway Podcast Network on Instagram at Broadway Podcast Network. It's been so great having you here with us today, and we'll see you next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.